Well, when you show a video that says uh, that the church is a battleship and not a cruise ship, you're going to test it out. See what happens when things don't work, when the toilets don't flush. That's happened before, by the way. Pipes froze. I had to stand up here and say, I'm sorry, but you can't go to the bathroom. Just hold it. And I'm preaching for an hour. So um, three times this week, somebody, uh, whether in the ministry or just knowing that I'm a pastor, asked me, what, what are you preaching on? And uh, the way they put it was interesting, though. Uh, two out of the three times was, what, what's, your, what's your current series right now? And I, uh, I knew what they were asking. They wanted to know what, what the, what the title was. You know what my what my theme was. You know what the what the catchy little hook of a series was. And the third guy that asked me, uh, I, I kind of unloaded my uh, my irritated spirit and my sarcasm on me. He said, well, "What what what's your series right now?" He's all interested, and I said, "Check it out. It's Second Timothy." What do you think? And he looked at me like, really? No joke. Really? Huh. That's good. And I just had to pray. Um, we're teaching Second Timothy right now. And um, why do we teach you the Bible? Why is it that if you, if you show up here 90 plus percent of the time, one of the first things I'm going to say is grab your Bible and turn to Somewhere. Uh, number one is because God said, quote, preach the word. Anybody know where that is? Second Timothy. It's a good thing we're preaching the word. Uh, and the other reason is, guys, I can't come up with anything better than what's right here. I just can't. And I'm not saying that from a standpoint of humility. I'm a pretty creative guy. No one can. We can't give you anything better, anything more profitable to your Monday through Friday even than what's right here. I hope you see that even after today's passage. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me pray for us as we open God's word. Father, um, we, we need your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it, can, it can pierce our hearts this morning, slice and dice us right up. It can shape and carve us into the men and women and young people that we need to be. Father, we submit to the truth of your word this morning. Where our lives differ from what your word says, we commit to change. We commit to change, Father. So, Lord, give us, give us humble spirits this morning as we, as we sit under the the reading and the teaching of your word. Father, give us spirits that long for not just uh, not just an entertaining message to kill the next 30 minutes or so, but Father, we seek we seek the pure nourishment that comes from your truth. The practical word of God that can help us tomorrow morning. When we wake up next to our husband or wife and it hasn't been a good weekend. When we're driving our kids to school, Father. When we're dealing with a, with a shady business partner, Father, whatever the case may be, we ask that your word, Father, would be living. Moses said that this is not an idle word. 
It is our very life. So, Lord, we, uh, we ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Give us, give us nourishment to take into our Monday. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul said this to Timothy. And God says this to us in Paul's final letter to the church. Chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You need a cross-reference for the Old Testament? Go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Moses is dead. God said, but I'm not dead. The promise continues. My plan is continuing. I'll take care of everything you need taken care of. You just be strong and courageous, even when it doesn't seem like you should be strong and courageous. That's essentially what Paul is saying to Timothy. Be strong and not in yourself. Be strong in who? In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He is the reservoir of our strength. And he cannot be tapped out. Verse 2, the things which you have heard from me, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men. Teach these things to faithful men and to those faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This gospel, church, is not to terminate on us. We're not to be Dead Sea Christians with no outlet where we receive all the blessings, but there is no outlet. That's the Dead Sea if you go to the Mediterranean. Everything flows in, but nothing goes out. And it's drying up over there. And if you look from the satellite view, you just see these salt plains all around it. Because there's all kind of blessing pouring in, but there's no outlet for the Dead Sea. And so it, it's stagnant. We don't want to be Dead Sea Christians. Paul says to Timothy, and God says through this word to us, listen, this has got to be passed along. It can't end with you. Your Christianity has to be such that you're not just receiving the word, but now you're passing it on to other guys who can be entrusted with that word, who will teach others also. You see the generations here that Paul imagines will benefit from from his sacrifice and his suffering. It's not just going to go to Timothy. It's going to go from Timothy to those guys he entrusts with it. And the guys he entrusts with it, it's going to go from there. And as Jesus would put it, to all ends of the earth is how it should go here. Verse 3. Paul gives Timothy a warning. This is where we were last week. Suffer hardship with me, Timothy. Kind of like a good soldier. And he's going to give us three analogies. We looked at the first last week, this good soldier. And we're going to look at the last two today. Let me, let me remind you what it means to be a good soldier. Apparently, it's possible to be a sorry soldier. Think about it. He doesn't just say be a, be a soldier for God. He said be a good soldier. Apparently... Paul had in mind some guys who were soldiers by enlistment, but they were sorry soldiers. He mentioned a couple of them in chapter 1. They bailed on him. And he mentioned a good soldier, Onesiphorus. This guy from Ephesus here to my dungeon has been faithful, just like I have been faithful, just like Jesus was faithful to us, chapter 1, from all of eternity past. Timothy, you be faithful, church. You be faithful. Be good soldiers. Paul isn't looking for guys who can just hold a gun right here, is he? He's looking for men and women and children who will charge hell with a water pistol. Good soldiers. Even if, did you catch it? Even if you have to suffer hardship. Are you okay with that? I mean, are you okay with that? If you're going to be in, in, the, in the army of God, are you okay that you are going to have to suffer hardship? By Paul using this analogy, it comes hand in hand. You don't get to opt out of the danger. You don't get to opt out of the pain. Suffer hardship. 
Despite what you hear on TV, the Christian life isn't all great health and great wealth. If you're going to follow Christ, you need to understand that Christianity is like being a soldier, Paul would say, on the front line. And it's not a part-time gig. You remember what he said? Verse 4, no soldier in active service. You are an active duty soldier, Paul would say. Now think about that. Soldiers, no matter what they're doing or where they are, they drop everything if their commander calls. Is that right? You drop everything. Doesn't matter what you're doing, who you're with, you drop everything when the commander calls. Last week we saw, we we examined, we, we spent our time mostly on this one word, entangled. Verse 4, no soldier in active duty entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Don't get so entangled with your plans that you can't drop everything when the commander calls. Uh, Pearl Harbor, December 7th. 1941, it was a Sunday morning. When it all went down, it was 1255 Eastern time. What do we do in December, right around noon, (laughs) uh, in most places in the country? We're playing football. There were three National Football League games going on at the time. The Bears, I think, the Redskins, uh, and the Giants uh, were all in the middle of a game. And they announced on the PA system... At those games, pretty famous announcement. They interrupted the game, and the PA announcer had to come on by order of the government and say over the PA, all soldiers on leave, you are called back. All servicemen to your stations, all leave is canceled. We're at war. And they just had to leave. You don't get to stay and finish the game. That's... What it means to be a soldier, an active duty service soldier. What did Jesus say when he called the disciples? Drop your nets, boys. We're going to fish for men now. Just leave that behind. Come on, follow me. Take up your cross, symbol of sacrifice. Put your life on the altar. Present your body as a living sacrifice to me, Paul would say in Romans 12. Uh, That's done. Let's go. I've got a new life for you. Luke 9, 57 to 62 says this. Remember this story? As they were going along the road, someone said to him, that's Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. It's easy to say that, isn't it? Keep going. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now look at Jesus' response. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. It's not that God wasn't sympathetic. It's not that Jesus wasn't sympathetic to this man's plight, to his mourning. But Jesus was making a point here. You've got to be willing, if you say you're going to follow me, to cut loose. To not be entangled by the things of the world. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. That's fine. But the heart that Jesus is looking for is the one who will abandon everything, even your work. Keep going. But Jesus said to him, no, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. No one. No one. You can't be torn. You can't be torn. If the beeper goes off, for that Green Beret guy, he's got to get up and go. i got to go. 
I'm at my kid's ball game. I got to go. Now, that's the picture of a soldier that Paul has in his mind that we ought to have in our mind that he's saying, now apply that analogy to you as a Christian. That's what life should look like. I mean, have you ever maybe you're struggling with this idea what Christianity should look like for me when I get back out there Monday through Friday. Paul's given us a pretty good idea here. He says it's kind of like being an active duty soldier. You can't get tied up in stuff. So go to school, get a good job, get married, raise kids, coach T-ball. Go to the lake, but don't forget what you're here for primarily. Be careful. Don't get entangled. Soldiers are committed first to the commander who enlisted him, verse 4 says. Your first commitment is to the commander who has enlisted you. Christians, you have to have your ear tuned to the voice of God. That you hear his voice above your own voice, above the calling voice of this world, above the direction The adversary would have us go. Your ear has to be acutely tuned to the voice of the Savior. So that when he gives orders, you respond. His orders override your interests, your ambitions, your intentions. Listen to me now. Maybe this hasn't been clear to you as a believer. There is one commander in chief and we're not him. When Paul talks about there being a commander that has enlisted us. He's talking about the Savior. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus, because he's Savior, he also gets the title of Lord. Do you know that? He's not just Savior. He gets to be Lord of our life. He gets to be the commander. He gets to give the orders. And uh, despite how high of a rank you may gain in God's army, you still answer to the king. Think about it. You could be a general. In this army, but you still have to answer to the king. Incidentally, in God's uh, hierarchy, in God's economy, you know, there is no democracy. We as Americans, we elevate democracy, but in God's economy, it's not technically the best way. It's the best way when you don't have somebody who can be a monarch. But when you've got a guy who's a rightful monarch, that's the best, most efficient way. But we can't find that perfect guy, so we have to have a democracy. We have to have a second best. God operates as a monarch, however. (laughs) And what the king says goes. Being soldiers infers that we don't get a vote. If he says jump, we say how high. We do it. That's what Paul means by a soldier, a good soldier. Life as a Christian is a lot like that, isn't it? Look at verse 5. It's also like being an athlete. Now watch this. Verse 5. Also, Paul says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. It's interesting here. Paul does not say that we need to be a good athlete. Similar to how he said we need to be a good soldier, does he? He didn't say be a good athlete. The analogy here as an athlete, the the point of making or drawing this analogy for Paul is not that we need to uh, uh, have great skills or abilities as an athlete. He's not calling us to be a good athlete. He's got a different point here. Watch this. What's important is that you compete according to the rules. What does that mean? In the Greek games, which were still going on, Uh, In Rome, when Paul was alive and Timothy was alive to participate in those games, um, you couldn't be just any geek off the street. 
I mean, he couldn't just walk up and say, hey, I'd like to be in these games. Uh, number one, it was extremely dangerous. But number two, they didn't want to water down the games. They wanted only the top athletes to be in the games. But it wasn't just about your ability. It wasn't just about your skills as an athlete. It had something else in mind. You had to be a disciplined individual. You had to be a disciplined individual. Let me explain. To compete, you had to stand before the judge on the, at the judge's bar and, uh, and before, I think, a statue of Zeus. You had to swear to the gods and to these judges before these Greek games. If you wanted to be an athlete in these games, you had to stand before them. You had to swear that you were competing according to the stated rules. What were the rules? Here's what you had to agree to. If you're going to be an athlete, you competed in the games. Number one, you had to... You had to vow that you were, number one, a Greek by birth. If you weren't a Greek by birth, you couldn't participate. Number two, you had to tell them that you have trained. You had to vow that you have trained intentionally and sufficiently for these games. You had to train, I think it was, up to at least ten months full-time training for the games if you were going to participate in the games. I mean, they didn't want just some guy who thought he might be good at the, the, the game to be in the game. You had to prove, you had to vow that you are a Greek by birth, and that you are trained and you're ready, okay? You had to be, you had to be disciplined. Number three, uh, you had to make a commitment that you would not follow, uh, that you would follow the particular rules of whatever game you were participating in. And they had a whole list of these rules, okay? You, um, uh, you, you couldn't be a drunkard. You couldn't, you couldn't be involved in, in a lot of the immorality of the day. I mean, they had pretty high standards for this thing. Um, you, you couldn't be involved in, in, in the revelry of the day, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You had to give up all of that stuff that the majority of the community might be involved in. The idea of being an athlete who plays according to the rules is that you're disciplined in your life to these degrees that you're willing to give up that stuff that most people are probably involved in. Now watch this. Paul wants to know if you, can, if you can play in the game. When he says being a Christian is kind of like being an athlete who competes for the prize according to the rules, he's wanting to know, are you, are you disciplined in the same way? He's not worried about your skills. He wants to know, are you vowing to this level of commitment, even if it means sacrificing some things? If you're a Christian, then you have to take care of the first requirement. You've been born again. That's taken care of. If you're a Christian, number one, you've got to be born in Greek. You've been born again. That's been taken care of. Paul's not so concerned about that first one. He's concerned about the second and third. Are we, are we committed? Are we disciplined to the training for the games? Are we going to play by the rules? Uh, I played uh, sports from, I think, the age six through college. Someone asked me one time... Um, why I never really got into the party scene. And uh, I had no real reason uh, except it, because it wasn't, it wasn't God. I didn't get saved until later on uh, in high school, uh, until almost when I graduated. So it wasn't, it wasn't uh, my Christianity that kept me out of trouble. Um, the only thing I could really think of is that me and two other guys seemed to make an unspoken pact that, um, well, it just wasn't advantageous to be part of the party crowd. It just didn't fit into the discipline of athletics. And we weren't even great athletes. 
But we just instinctively kind of knew that if we were going to if we were going to play ball, then we couldn't do this. Okay, we couldn't be involved in this and still have any success over here. And so we instinctively just kind of stayed away from some of that stuff. It's really not even because our parents kept us from those things. There was something about being an athlete that just instinctively said to us, you you, you can't do both. You can't do both. You talk to uh, men and women who are professional athletes, and it's interesting. It's interesting. They don't tell you stories of great great childhood uh, indulgences. You know what they tell you? They tell you of everything they had to sacrifice being a kid. They tell you of long hours, long days, being in the gym by themselves, shooting free throws and three-pointers, practicing their backhand, working out when no one else was working out, while all their friends were out playing, they were, they were practicing. And all great athletes, they tell you of those, those times of sacrifice, what they gave up so that they could be great athletes while everybody else was having fun. Those are the stories you hear. Uh, I had an opportunity to have lunch with uh, Mark Price a few years back. Mark was a, uh, was a former basketball player, professional basketball player with the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, I read a, uh, an article. He was ranked number two by fans as the favorite Cleveland Cavalier of all time. He's number two on the list of being their favorites. You know who number one was? LeBron James. So now he's not number one. So that makes Mark Price, I guess, number one now because LeBron James bailed. And so now who's number two gets to move up to number one. I think Mark Price still holds the uh, career free throw percentage uh, record for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, he had the highest free throw percentage all time, still holds it. That guy got on the line, it was just automatic. He's like a robot. And uh, if you talk to Mark, he, he's not going to tell you of all the partying he'd done as a kid. He's not going to tell you of all the, all the fun he had. He's going to tell you of all the sacrifices he made. He's going to tell you about the million three-pointers he took. He's going to tell you about all the free throws he had to take. When all of his friends were out at summer camp, when all of his friends were going on vacation, he was in the gym. I was talking to one of our guys who went to the same school as Mark. And he said, I remember seeing Mark Price uh, in the gym by himself just shooting, 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 shooting. That's what it takes to be an athlete at that level. It, it, It takes discipline. You see, when Paul talks about being an athlete, like being a Christian, it's not about your abilities. It's not about your skills. It's about the willingness to commit wholeheartedly to the sacrifice of some other things that others may be enjoying. Paul's point is that an athlete is disciplined. You don't just get to do whatever you want as a Christian. Whatever your flesh decides it wants to do, you you have to be disciplined. You have to be self-disciplined. Much like an athlete. Guys, that means no porn for you. Ladies, that means no gossiping for you. Is that all right? Can we compete according to a set state of rules? And vice versa, because it's a new day and who knows what's going on. But you've got to discipline your body. Make it submit to you. I remember hearing a story from a well-known pastor uh, when I was a teenager. He was... He was uh, talking to other pastors and he was talking about this concept in this passage. And he said, sometimes uh, when I go out to eat and they bring that dessert tray by and it's got all these great desserts on it, he says, I say no, even though I could say yes, there's no real reason why he couldn't say yes. He said, in those moments, sometimes I say no, just so I can show my body who's in charge. Isn't that good? How hard is that? 
When you don't have to say no, you say no. And he used that to explain this concept of what it means here in 2 Timothy to be an athlete. It's a, it's a self-discipline. E- even if it's not a bad thing, there are some things as a Christian that, that, we, that we have to say we'll, we'll not be a part of. Great athletes and great Christians, listen to me, great athletes and great Christians are willing to say no to certain things others indulge in. And, by the way, uh, you got to be willing to take the hit when you do. Ladies, if your girlfriends are having a little uh, party about how sorry your husbands are, you got to be willing to say, I'm not going to get involved in that. And watch the claws come out. Who do you think you are? Uh, guys, when uh, your buddies pull up to the gentleman's club, you got to be willing to sit in the car and then take the hit of ridicule. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 9. Paul used this analogy of an athlete for the Corinthians as well. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. It's intentional here. It's ambitious. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. See the same concept here? See what Paul's keying on here as an athlete? It's the idea of self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath or crown. But we Christians, we do it what? An imperishable crown. Keep going. Therefore, I run in such a way, Paul says, as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and I make it my slave. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That's what it means to be an athlete. Paul says being a Christian is kind of like being a soldier. But it's also kind of like being an athlete. One of the greatest challenges of ministry is finding men and women who are willing to, to look at the work of the kingdom and then look back at their life and say, you know what, this, this is worth more than this. This is more important than this. This is attractive, but this is eternal. And you've got to be willing to make the sacrifices, even if some of this is all that everyone else is involved in, all that everyone else is enjoying. The athlete, the great athlete, is willing to look at that and say, this is more important. You think about it. If you were to ever meet a pro athlete and you were to, you were to meet them on the day that they get drafted into the pros, that they get called up to the big leagues, what do you think they'll tell you about all those past sacrifices? They were all worth it. Huh? They were all worth it. Church, one day when you get called up, when you get called up, And you face a living and holy God. What do you think you're going to think about all those sacrifices Paul's calling us to make as as athletes who compete according to the rules? You're going to say, it's all worth it. Amen? It's all worth it. They'll pale in comparison. Just like the athlete who says, you know what? This was worth giving up this. Well... Trivia question. Who's the guy in the Bible? The only guy in the Bible that God calls a fool. It's the guy who he uh, told a parable of. parable went something like this. Guy has land and the land is very profitable. 
and the produce is more than his barns could handle. And so the man says to himself, what shall I do? My barns are overflowing. I know what I'll do. He says to his soul, I'll build more barns. I'll build bigger barns. And so he does. He builds bigger barns. And then he says to his soul, soul, take ease, eat, drink, and be merry, for you have all you need for the rest of your life. The next verse of the parable, Jesus says that God calls the man, you fool, you fool. For today, this very night, your soul is required of you. And now who is going to get all this that you've accumulated? Then listen to the next verse. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards who? God. Um, Too many of us are investing our time and efforts into this stuff. And we haven't realized there's something more important that's worth sacrificing this stuff, that we might be rich towards God. It's like being a soldier. It's like it's like being an athlete in some ways. You know, it's also like Paul says, it's like being a farmer. It's like being a farmer. Look at the verse. Verse six, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Uh, The farmer. The point here is that he's hardworking. Pretty obvious. The farmer is hardworking. I've known some farmers uh, and frankly, they're all tired. Are they? They're all tired. Why? Because they get up early. And how long do they go? Bruce, how long do they go? Till it's, till it's done. If it's dark, it's dark. When five o'clock comes, you don't just get to go inside. Uh, you don't get to wait till the sun comes up. When the cow needs milk, the cow needs milk. The work is not determined by your uh, program. It's based on the planting, it's based on the seasons, okay? When it's time to cultivate the ground and prep the ground, you've got to prep the ground. You can't skip that. When it's time to plant the seeds, you've got to plant the seeds. You've got to do it when it's time. When weeds pop up, you've got to pull the weeds. You can't do that on your own time. It's not to your leisure. When it's time to fertilize, you've got to do it. When you've got, you got to cultivate, when you have to harvest, when the harvest is there, you better, you better bring it in. Being a farmer is hard Work. You don't get to pick and choose. You have to get up and you have to stay as long as it takes. To be a farmer, you, you also very often have to get your hands dirty, don't you? You look at a farmer and their hands, they're like these giant mittens, you know? They're like leather. And their nails, uh, they're, they're worn back because they have to get, they have to get in there. They have to get dirty. Now, I hope you're thinking here of not just about a farmer, because Paul says a Christian is kind of like being a farmer, a hardworking farmer, right? So follow me here. A farmer works hard. It's not up to him when he does the work. He has to do the work when it's demanded. And sometimes you've got to get your hands dirty. You know what else? Uh, sometimes you've got to deal with manure. That's the nice word. If your crops are going to grow, a mess is required sometimes, isn't it? And sometimes it gets on you. You you can draw your own parallels to Christianity there. Usually, as a farmer, you're alone, aren't you? A soldier is going to have fellow soldiers. An athlete, you're going to have a guy running next to you. 
But uh, when you're out there plowing the field, there's nobody standing over on the side saying, Go, John Deere! Nobody's going to pat you on the back for planting a straight row. A farmer's often out there on his own. It's thankless work. You don't get the pats on the back, do you? Paul says it's kind of like being a Christian. You know why I couldn't be a farmer? Uh, my in-laws call me a city boy. They're from Indiana on a farm. Uh, I couldn't be a farmer, though, not because of just the, the hard work or the getting dirty. Uh, I'm too impatient. I'm too impatient. Here's the other thing about being a farmer. You have to wait. You got to wait. You got to prep the ground. You got anything there? Nothing. Then you got to, I don't know, what, I, I'm going to get the order all wrong here because I'm a city boy, right? And you put the seeds in there. You got anything yet? Nothing. And then you water it. You got anything? No, nothing. You get it light? Nothing. Still nothing. You fertilize? Still nothing. And then you wait, right? You're just waiting. You pull weeds. It takes forever before you ever see any fruit. Paul says Christianity is kind of like being a farmer. And I imagine that this is part of what he means, that, that there's a whole lot of waiting. This thing is, is seasonal. And, and when it comes to kingdom work, we have to bring the light of truth. We have to add water. And we're talking about souls here in the kingdom, right? You following me here? We, we've got to plant the seeds that we're called to plant. But here's the deal. Once that seed's put under the ground, we have nothing, we have nothing to do with the magic, the magic that God is working in the darkness, do we? Sometimes as a Christian, we've got to wait. We've got to wait years. Sometimes when you plant a church, you don't see automatic fruit. Sometimes you've got to wait on the season and you just got to keep doing the hard work. You've got to keep doing the hard work, church. You've got to keep doing the hard work. You've got to keep reaching out. You've got to keep being faithful. You've got to keep going back there and sacrificing a week out of your month to work with the kids. You've got to keep inviting people. You've got to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. And you may not see that sprout for a number of more years. But you've got to be, you be diligent. You've got to be steadfast, hardworking as a farmer, even if you don't see an immediate produce. This verse seems odd to us, though, doesn't it? Um, let me ask you, though, why, why do they do it? Why would they do that? Why would a farmer do it? They do it for the harvest, don't they? They do it for the harvest. Christians, why do we do it? <laughs> we do it for the harvest. Why all that hard work? Why all that sacrifice? Why all that waiting? Why all the dirt? Because there is a harvest. And, you know, Jesus said something about the harvest, didn't he? Uh, it's interesting here when you think, when you kind of put all these analogies together. Jesus said that it, don't worry about the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. I'll take care of the harvest. I'll take care of the magic in the darkness that gets the sprout up. What's the problem, Jesus said, though? The problem is I don't have enough workers. I don't have enough hard-working farmers. Uh, let me tell you why this verse seems odd to us. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Well, of course he should. Of course he should. If he's going to work hard on his land, he ought to be the first to receive the share of his crops. But that's not what the passage says. What does the passage say? The passage says he ought to be the first to receive the share of the crops. Now, what Paul understood as a farmer here is not old McDonald who had a farm. Paul's understanding of a farmer here is an employee. A farmer in Paul's day is a guy who works for the landowner, who cultivates the land. He does the work of the farming. And that's why it makes sense here when Paul says he ought to receive 
the first share because he's done the work. Does that make sense to you now? It's not his land. And we just assume that this farmer ought to get the first. I mean, it's his land. Paul says, like being a Christian is like being a farmer in an employee sense. You work hard and you trust that the landowner is going to bless you with what you've earned. Uh, Did you notice here? Did you notice here in every case, in every case, there was a reward for the analogy. The soldier, what's his reward? His reward is knowing that he has pleased his commander. Isn't that good? What was the reward for the athlete? He gets a crown. It's not a perishable crown. It's an imperishable crown. By the way, what happens to those crowns? Did we just, we just gallivant around heaven with them on? Now, Scripture says that we take those crowns when we find Jesus and we'll, we'll lay them at his feet. We'll lay them at his feet as worship. What's the farmer get? The farmer, he gets, he gets the first cut. Uh, church, you be faithful. You be faithful. Don't get tangled up. You be self-disciplined. And you work hard. In the rain, in the cold, if the ground's hard, if the ground's not hard, you work. You do the hard work of evangelism. Paul would say in other places. You do the hard work. And don't worry. God, as the rightful landowner, will take care of you. You'll get your share. Isn't that good? There's always a promise to the faithful. The guy who mentored me, he put it like this. Tongue in cheek, he said, good guys always get lucky. I don't believe in luck. What was he saying? He was saying, you be faithful. You be a good soldier. You compete according to the rules. You be that self-disciplined athlete. And you do the hard work of the farmer. And God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Can God take care of this church? Body? He sure can. Can he take care of the, uh, of the harvest when the season is due? He sure can. He sure can. The soldier, single-minded. The athlete, self-disciplined. The farmer, he's steady. He's a steadfast, hard worker. How you doing right here, church? Is that the kind of Christianity you, you thought you were getting into? Or maybe you thought Christianity was, was going to turn out you having a God in Aladdin's bottle. That you could rub like a genie anytime you wanted to meet any of your needs. Paul helps us to understand here. What is it? What is it to be a Christian? It's kind of like being a soldier. On active duty. Unentangled. An athlete. An athlete who who will make the sacrifices if he has to. In order to compete in the games. For the crown, that imperishable crown. He'll play by the rules. He'll say no when everybody else is saying yes. It's kind of like a farmer being, being a hardworking, diligent, steadfast, even when you don't see any fruit. Now maybe that's, maybe that's a picture of Christianity that, that you've never seen before. But it's what the Bible paints. Let's pray. Father God, we... <laughs> 
we say uh, thank you for your word. It, um, it is alive and it is real. And it is, the, uh, it is the truth that we need so that we understand our marching orders from here on out. Lord, might it, might it be said of us, well done, good and faithful servant, upon the day that we are called up, might we have no regrets that we've poured our life into the building of our own barns. Might we, might we have crowns to throw at your feet because we've understood the battle at hand. We've understood the process of planting and watering. And Lord, we've been diligent about our work. Lord, we trust you with the harvest. We trust you with the crowns. Lord, we, we live our lives to please you, our commander-in-chief. Because you are our Savior, we willingly declare you our Lord. And we'll give you anything you ask for. Anything you ask for. Knowing that you will take care of us. There's no doubt. So, Lord, change us wherever we need to be changed. Lord, if we've been spending our life on ourselves, Holy Spirit, would you, would you speak to us? Don't let us sleep tonight, Father, until we've dealt with whatever it is you want to challenge us on. Lord, we love you. And we ask that you would um, you'd make us profitable to the kingdom you'd use what we have to offer and Lord it may not seem to us like a lot but we give you our hands we give you our feet we give you our mouths to be a mouthpiece for the good news use us Lord use this church use their faithfulness Father across the board you are gathering a people together who want to be good soldiers. Who want to compete according to the rules. Who, who, who are ambitious in the race. And who are willing to do the hard work. So Lord, would you honor their efforts? Would you honor their sacrifices? We know you will. We know you will. Lord, help us to hold the line. To hold the line of truth in this place. We trust that you'll continue to bless. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.